0: He wanted me to act like I just showed up. Now, how did he know you were gonna be at that theater?
1: Uh, Well, I I go to the movies every year on my birthday. In fact, he called me up this week to find out what my birthday movie was gonna be. You're not mad? No, man. I can't tell you, it was one of the best times I ever had. It was. You know, I knew something must be rotten in Denmark. There was no way you could like me that much. This is a great show, man. Thanks for having me on. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Generation Lost, the show about movies that doesn't take itself too seriously. Featuring Bryn. And Jeremy. And this month is the beginning of the new Dark Council joint uh, Tarantino Month. Now,
2: Quentin Tarantino Mons.
1: <laughs> I will say this is a little bit a uh, a host nudge. Uh, this <laughs> this particular council seemed a little bit uh, like they didn't really know what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy said, what if we did How Tarantino? How about we do <laughs> the
2: one that we wanted to do a couple months ago? Yeah. Uh, uh, it looks ta- like there might have not been a council. And you know what? I'm going to say it. We've earned it. We've done a we couple. Have- uh, <laughs> we've done a couple of these months that have been a little tough. Listen, and I'm I gonna, think we've earned a fun month.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna agree. Uh, there has been, I, I can't really remember at this point, what has been truly painful. Mm. Uh, I think it's all been okay or fine to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's doing something that lots of people have seen. That's a lot. Lots of fun to talk about. Yes. Um. I think that's we've. I think we've definitely earned that this year. It's it's halfway through the year. A nice little celebration. It's Fourth of July weekend. You're probably hearing this. It's just, just over. Yes. Um, that's right.
2: Fourth of July weekend. Having so, yourself a nice little time.
1: Yeah. Probably had a nice cookout. It's probably you probably have the day off today. Um. Because I or, believe. So,
2: yeah. Because it's gonna. Uh, yeah. Because the fourth is on Tuesday. So Yeah. yeah. This will be the 4th will be tomorrow you'll be celebrating america and thinking about national treasure quentin tarantino yes uh, quentin jerome tarantino
1: <laughs> who i have i think jeremy loves quentin tarantino mhm i have very complicated feelings about tarantino some of which are big respect big adoration some of them are kind Types of hatred <laughs> that I have for very few other people, um, so I think it'll be an interesting series. I'm excited to talk about. Have we done one of his movies before? No, not one. I don't one. think so. No, I think this it has will been. Be... It has been almost three years of this show. No, yeah, three years it. of yeah. of Generation Lost, three and a half or whatever. Uh, without, I mean, we've definitely talked about the guy at length on other episodes mm-hmm. um but this will be the first time we actually cover one of his movies and we're starting off with a movie that he didn't direct yes um and that's which fine. is
2: interesting and i'm glad we do
1: because and i, I think, actually
2: think this is a, this is an interesting way to start yeah the story right
1: Yes, I think, it's a, I think it's a really good way to set the stage for what people like about him and what I particularly fucking hate about him. Mm. Um, so I think that will be a fun time when we get there. Before we get there, we have to do what we always do and ask Jeremy, why don't you join me, listener, in asking Jeremy, <laughs> what did you watch this week?
2: Wow! I'd like to thank you and the listener for asking. Um, You're welcome. So, <laughs> uh, in honor of of Tarantino month, and um, to kind of add a little bit of extra flavor to all of this, uh, I done went ahead and rewatched Reservoir Dogs.
1: Okay, his actual first, first,
2: the actual uh, debut of Quentin Tarantino. The reason why I watched it, I mean, I was between this and Pulp Fiction. Um, I think I might, if I can, I might try to watch Pulp Fiction for next week. Uh, we'll see. But um, the reason really why this kind of tipped over the top for me was because I I read that True Romance was... uh, The screenplay was sold with the specific intention of financing part of Reservoir Dogs. Yes. Um, So that was interesting to me. And, and, uh, And so I went ahead and watched it. I assumed these are kind of like made around the same time or written around the same time, I guess, for him. And one of them he was more interested in than the other. And I have to say, after rewatching Reservoir Dogs, two things: one, I'm surprised by how much more I like it than I thought I did, and really? two, uh, how much I still think he made a mistake and he should have uh, he should have held on to True Romance and he should have sold Reservoir Dogs. Uh, I am much more interested in what his vision for True Romance would have been than what his actual movie of Reservoir Dogs is. So. Focus on. If you haven't seen Reservoir Dogs before, it is the first uh, the first official Quentin movie. It's his first directed and written movie. Uh, stars Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, uh, and um, I think that's it for like big names. Um, yeah, I think that's it for big names.
1: Wait, what did you say? Did you say Keitel?
2: Yeah, okay. and Stephen Wright is a, is a DJ voice in it. Um, Yeah, Chris Penn. uh, Yeah. So those are your big names. And um, Michael Madsen, who's in uh, later Quentin movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a pretty, it's a shockingly straightforward movie compared to what his movies become. Um, Basically, it's a group of guys who are going to um, rob a diamond wholesaler. And uh, the heist goes wrong. uh they they all get caught by police. they some of them get shot, not clear if they all die or some of them get arrested, whatever. Uh, but basically, they retreat to this warehouse where uh Tim Roth's character is like bleeding to death out of his stomach. Everybody's trying to figure out what happened, what went wrong. And that's kind of it. That's the main thing of the movie, and it's, you know. They think they got set up by a cop, uh, and they did. Tim Roth is the cop. We later find out. Um, and it's all just about, you know, the pressure cooker of this room and everybody trying to figure out what the fuck happened, who, who's, you know, who's the problem, what went wrong, blah, blah, blah. We get some flashbacks here and there um, to add a little bit of extra flavor to everything. But really, mostly, it's just kind of in this one space. And that's very interesting. Um, I think he only really does that again for Hateful Eight, where he kind of like tries to keep things super duper confined like this. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, here, you know, it's with reason. He has no money, and um, (laughs) he needs to make it really, really count uh, with what he's doing because it's a $3 million movie. Um...
1: Right, which it was not supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to be a $30,000 movie. um, And. (laughs) fun of the story is is that uh uh he had like a friend or he he knew he had a producing friend uh oh it's Lawrence Bender mm-hmm. um who <laughs> he was not like a big producer or anything he he produced the Sam Raimi movie uh or a Scott Spiegel movie that Sam Raimi was worked on or whatever so it's like he was like a slasher guy you know mm-hmm. he was just he and he was, was trying
2: like, to become an actor it seems like he
1: was he was working as a grip on on horror movies and chill. he was a very low guy in the, in the industry and so he was friends with tarantino he gave it to his acting teacher who gave it to Keitel.
2: who gave no who gave it to his wife who oh, gave it to Keitel? God.
1: uh yeah so you know just this sort of weird la pathway kind of thing where Tarantino knew a guy who had been on some movies, he gave it to his acting teacher, his acting teacher gave it to his wife, that guy gave it to, that lady gave it to his Harvey Keitel, and Keitel was like, this is fun, I wanna be in it. Yeah. I'll do it, and I'll also help finance it, and they raised $1.5 million, and then eventually got a little more. Yeah. Um. So, they were able to hire uh, real actors, shoot it on film, in, in color, and not, 60 millimeter black and white
2: yeah it's interesting like for the time period and for like what the original vision of the movie is it's really interesting how much it lines up with clerks as these sort of like interesting early 90s you know like guy with an idea who just has kind of like a shitty life who's trying to find a way into making movies and like Just the two different versions of this where, like, it's basically just a New York and an L.A. version of the story, right? Where, like, in New York, you just, like, max out your credit cards, bring it to a film festival, hope somebody sees it. And in L.A., you, like, give it to some random person and hope that they know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who can do something with
1: it. Yeah. So there's uh, a book I read when I was in high school called uh, Rebels on the Backlot, Mm -hmm. which was about six of these dudes who did those things. uh, One being Quentin. Uh, mm-hmm. the other five being, I'm not going to be able to remember all of them because I think it's Fincher. Uh, I think it's Spike, Spike Jones, maybe. Mm. I think my uncle gave me this cause I was like interested in, uh, on the, in filmmaking at the time. Um, uh, yeah, six Maverick directors. Um. I don't Kevin remember. Smith is not one of them. However. I don't think Kevin Smith is one of them. I think it's, oh yeah, it's David O. Russell, Paul Thomas Anderson, Quinn Tarantino, David Fincher, Spike Jones, and Steven Soderbergh. Um, and the book is pretty good in that it's not just this like dick sucking contest of like who can, who's the coolest of these guys. Mm. It does, you know, talk about how some of these guys had money. Like some of them were just like rich kids sure. who had or or you know nepotism cases, uh, and then some other uh, like Soderbergh and and Tarantino didn't like yeah. at all. Yeah, Tarantino's
2: and, working at a video rental store. Yeah, and that's kind of part of why too. I was like, I was like, it really is just like Kevin Smith of the West Coast, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and they have different motivations for getting into it. Where like Kevin Smith really seems like he just wants to be funny, and this is the way that he knows how to be funny. Whereas, like, Tarantino really is just, like, in love with movies. And My man doesn't to...
1: know literally how to interact with anything besides movies. Like, yes. that's. <laughs> uh- <laughs> 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 it's the only thing he understands. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And so I think, you know, well, whatever. We're, we're not really talking about him as a whole thing. No, how do you, I mean, like, so you like Reservoir Dogs?
2: <laughs> it's interesting. I like it, I think it's pretty good. I, um,. I was really surprised by how poor the technicals are on it, like, just, like... Oh, the, sure, it's his first just movie. Just straightforward stuff. Yeah, it's his first movie. He has no money, obviously, but, I mean, like, the sound is pretty abysmal. Um, the the shot selection is not so hot. There's a couple of things where you just kind of, learn, like, like it's shaky in a way that's bad. It's, like, um, there was one shot where I, I know this isn't true but like something like was making it look like when you take a picture and your finger is over part of the lens like there was something in front of the lens that was I just do like I know wrong. what you're talking
1: about I remember noticing that when I saw it as a kid
2: there's like a weird take uh, where the first time Keitel and Buscemi are talking to each other where uh, Keitel lights his cigarette and then goes to light his but like doesn't get it and then just like does the rest of the scene pretending like he's smoking because <laughs> uh, <laughs> he just didn't light it right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's like weird little shit like that. That's kind of like weird and sticks out. Um, I think some of the acting is like only okay, but I guess again, it's like you only have who you have. Um, sure. But I think overall I'm really surprised by how much I ended up like, Really like even though I know the movie, I know what happens. I haven't seen it since probably college, but I mean, like, I, I I know everything that happens in it, but I still was like compelled, and I still was like, like I was pretty like drawn in. I think the um the sequence where Tim Roth is like we're going into his backstory, where he's like practicing and trying to like convince you that he's a real drug dealer and whatever. That stuff's really good. Um, I really enjoy mm-hmm. his little his little background thing. I'd be interested to see what, like, what Tarantino would do with this movie today, you know, like, w- what would his full-scale version of this be? If he had all the money that he could get now, if he had all the resources he'd get now, like, what what would be different about this movie? Because I feel like something that's interesting about it compared to everything else is that there's not really a lot of homage There's not really a lot of stuff in here that you're supposed to be like, ooh, he's doing like a fun Western thing or he's doing like a Japanese thing or whatever. Like, Mm. it just is what it is. It's just his weird like early 90s nondescript white gangster thing. Like, (laughs) there's nothing like, you know, in particular happening. Um, Isn't
1: like the whole movie like kind of a ripoff or or like a homage to like another movie? Ah, God.
2: I mean, I guess it is. They say that he, like, stole it, didn't they? Like, um, it's like the... Um,
1: uh City on Fire. The Chung Young Fat movie, I guess. Oh, okay. But, like, like I mean, like, you don't movie. know
2: that. It's not really the same as what he ends up doing, right? Like, I feel like the, the version of this now, like, there would be a guy who has a sword or something. You know? Like, there would be something in here that's, like, spe- oh, yeah, that's yeah. supposed to specifically stand out
1: well, as being
2: uh, something
1: like Yeah, wrong, but I think... Know? I think the thing about, I think that's when Tarantino gets confident in himself Mm -hmm. and, and I think, I think taking, taking stuff from other things and then mashing them together, uh, is when he starts being interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, I think that uh, er, this early on, he's sort of like, let me make something normal and you know, hide my influence as much as possible. right. Um yeah, he uh he says I didn't go out of my way to do a rip-off of The Killing um by Stanley Kubrick, but I did think of it as my the killing, my mm-hmm. take on that kind of heist movie. It's also been inclusive plagiarism. Ringo Lamb's eighty-seven City on Fire. Uh even being inclusive lifting entire scenes from this film. Uh so I mean, I think he was sort of like, I'll take these things and what I think is cool and make it cohesive in this cool way. Yeah. um i think when he starts being like i'm gonna take this particular you know sword fight from this movie and put it in the good bad and the ugly like yes. that's when it's like whoa what that's when you-
2: it gets interesting is because yeah what you're saying is like he's taking Appleton. the stuff that he likes from his influences <laughs> and making them a cohesive thing i think what we think of as the tarantino thing now or at least like for a good chunk of his career because now it kind of feels like he's pushing back towards what it was before, like, but the thing is, like, taking the pieces of the things he likes and intentionally making them not cohesive, and, and in that lack of cohesion, then accidentally becoming cohesive again, you know, Uh like, and, and now it feels like with, you know, pretty much all of his recent movies, um, like, from... I guess Django and then um, Hateful Eight and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they feel much more like that first vision again where it's like he's taking the things from his influences but he's specifically trying to make them cohesive again and not have the big things that stand out. Except for like the ahistorical stuff. That's the stuff that still is like, you know, he's still going to have his fun with like setting that bitch on fire and whatever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) So do you recommend... Oh, Reservoir definitely. Dogs? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. I mean, especially if you're doing if you are yourself playing along at home and doing a Tarantino month with us, 100%, you have to watch Reservoir now, Dogs I haven't as part of your Tarantino <laughs> month.
1: <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen the movie since maybe college. Yeah. Uh, I don't like this movie in my mm. memory, like I thought That's was,
2: I remembered it that way too. I remembered yeah. not really liking it very much. I liked it a lot more this time. I think it's It's especially when you know where his career goes and when you like think about kind of the perspective like I don't think it works great as a movie standalone like if I was in 1992 just going to a movie theater to sit down and watch it I don't think I would come out and be like I can't wait to see the next movie that this guy makes but knowing how bombastic and massive and you know these like big you know gaudy turkeys that he makes later in his <laughs> career like going back to this like simpler little movie that he makes it really feels very quaint and interesting to look at just from a just from like a, a historical perspective and as part of a as part of a greater you know looking at a career of a man sort right. of a thing you know yeah i
1: mean i i think that that's not enough for me like i think no, i would no, no, i think I, don't... I would still like my i i kind of want to watch it i'll probably rewatch it uh this month hopefully um but my sense is uh like i think it's i th- i think these kinds of movies of just like a bunch of dickheads you know being mad at each other uh without saying much like the kind of stuff he was interested in at this point is mm. just like so not for me and i don't care and I don't want to watch it sure. and like and then even if it was done really stylistically and slickly like I still don't think I would think this movie was very good I mm-hmm. don't think I'd recommend it and knowing that it still has a lot of the flaws and holes and and you know pockmarks that it does I think I still probably wouldn't like it but I, I hear what you're saying like as a piece of like Tarantino history
2: Hmm. yeah as part of a like I, I recommend it as part of a broader tarantino picture i don't recommend it on its own as a movie i guess is what i would say
1: that's a not that's a not recommend kind of
2: i think it's a medium (laughs) recommend because we are doing a tarantino month and i think some people will be doing a tarantino month with us i think as part of a tarantino month this is integral however i think as a standalone movie don't don't i wouldn't watch it yeah
1: Hmm. all right
2: what did you watch this week
1: Well, I wish we had just gone right into the movie. But we're going to stop here and talk about Ari Aster. Because this week (laughs) I watched Bo is Afraid. I watched Bo is Afraid. But Bo is Afraid is a 2023 uh, surrealist tragedy comedy horror film uh, directed by our boy Ari Aster. um, This is his third movie starring Joaquin Phoenix. Nathan Lane putting in... What a performance in this movie. <laughs> uh, Patty Lapone as his mom. Uh, Richard Kind in a what a performance. Uh, Parker Posey also doing a great job. Love to see her show up. Mm. Um, so I watch Bo is Afraid. Um, you haven't seen this, right? No, not yet. Okay. I'm going to. I'm not going to spoil anything. You can anything. spoil it. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm warning the listener. I know you don't care. <laughs> um, I'm not going to spoil anything too much. Um, I'm going to mention some stuff that happens later in the movie though. Um, and and so if you don't want to hear that, skip to the 30 minute mark. Um, so I watched this movie, honestly, at this point with the reception that Bo has gotten with a little bit of caution. Sure. Because mm, it's a three hour movie. I was like ready to strap in and be like, all right, Ari like do your worst mm-hmm. uh you know cuz it tanked the, at the
2: box office it looks like it
1: tanked and you know lots of people and it's a
2: cheap movie that sucks
1: 35 million and it yeah. only made 11 um so i watched a little interview with Ari after i watched this uh where he said like i had enough goodwill where i cashed it in and made this movie mm-hmm. um and it's a it is i think i think the um the 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 general feeling or consensus that I've heard <laughs> about this movie is that it is sort of uh, indulgent. Mm-hmm. Um, that it is some sort of uh, you know too over. It's so long. Blah blah blah. So I I, I went into this movie with with kind of low expectations, um, and what I watched. Is a movie that is so fucking funny <laughs> mm. <laughs> that I was just blown away by the first hour and a half of this movie. Because um, I was not expect. No one has said. I've not heard anybody say Bo is a f- comedy. Like they're like, oh, it's a surrealist tragic comedy. It's weird. But this movie is is a like laugh a minute, like ridiculous anxiety ridden comedy like uh-huh. this movie is so fun to watch interesting i was blown away by this
2: at least for the first
1: so so it, it it's broken up into three big parts um the first big part is uh beau trying to get to his mom's funeral um he's supposed to visit his mom and everything is going wrong and then he is postponed for one day, and his mother dies. <laughs> okay. Um, she, her, a chandelier falls on her head and disintegrates it, and she dies. Disintegrates her head. Yeah, her head is bl- obliterated. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's like it, it's like it's so over the top. It's sure. It's, it's such and, and a it's funny And it's just movie. like it's
2: it's already just the anxiety of like of of. <laughs> I mean yeah it's like you're going to visit your mother you're delayed and you're like
1: like it's just your worst nightmare yeah Yeah, it's exactly and so that's the idea of the movie is just that it's it's every every anxiety like there's a part where he's he gets put on a new medication at the very beginning of the scene it's a new anxiety medication he takes it and he the water gets shut off in his apartment Mm -hmm. and he's like and he's like oh it's like he's trying to like just swallow the pill and he like swallows the pill and he like starts Googling, like what happens if you take, don't drink water? <laughs> and it like the Google results are like the curious case of the anxiety medication that kills you. <laughs> 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 and it's like, you have to drink eight ounces of water, you will die. And he's like trying to go out of his house. And it's just, it's just this like constant, just relentless, funny, like sequence mm-hmm. um, of him trying to get to his mom's house and then he can't and then he he t- waits for one day to get on another flight and his mom is dead and he's just like grieving and freaking out and then he gets hit by a car and he gets <laughs> taken in by this couple who hit him and like are repairing him and that's Nathan Lane mm-hmm. and uh, his wife I think her name is I think it's Amy is it Amy Ryan I can't remember who's playing uh, who's playing her uh, but they're both hilarious um, And uh, that whole situation is just mind-boggling. It just keeps getting more nightmarish. And that's about like an hour and a half of a movie. Like if you want to watch a funny, insane movie like you've never seen before, like that's just a great movie. Mm -hmm. And then we get about a half an hour sequence. He finally escapes this horrible situation. He runs into a forest. And then what we get is this weird like 30-minute play where it's the animators from... La Casa Lobos, which uh, was like my one of my favorite movies of the decade. It's one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And then he watches this sort of play uh, of what his life would be like if he, like, had courage or like had some sort of agency in his life. And this part of the movie is like just gorgeous. It stops being funny. It stops being exciting. But mm-hmm. it's just this incredibly beautiful like sequence. I've really appreciated and it's a big switch and I think a lot of people stop liking the movie here. Sure. Um and I understand that, but it's also just so good that I I find it hard to imagine just being like not not going with it b- by this point because at this point the movie is just like you have no idea what's happening, you have no idea where it's going. Um so this like weird mood switch didn't bother me um and and i think that's going to be something that throws people off and i think if you're prepared for it and you go into it and just let yourself just don't think about what this movie's about what it's a metaphor for if anything Mm. just have fun with it i think it treats you really well um because it just keeps showing you either something that's one of the most ridiculous funny bullshit things you've ever seen or something really beautiful right um And then, so we spend some time in the forest and then he finally gets back to his mom's house. Um, and it turns out that his mom isn't dead (laughs) and faked her own death just to get him there. Um, and then it goes back to being funny. Um, and so it just goes back to being this like nightmare of this abusive mother, uh, fucking with him. Just because she thinks she deserves all of this stuff from him. I think think the big problem is people think the movie doesn't get funny again. Mm. But it's just like more evil and more anxiety nightmare bullshit. It's just like you're constantly confused of what... Here's the thing. It's so insane. There is a monster in this movie. There is like supernatural elements. And I think people expect a an ending that is like explaining the movie of like oh he's gonna wake up and it's all been a dream or the real thing that's happening is he's on a tv show or they're they're all doing this for him or it's like the game you know like it's it's like a you know like people want to know answers to like why this is happening mm-hmm. that is not what this movie is about at all uh <laughs> I think I think there is and we I won't go into what I think the movie is about like conceptually because it doesn't really matter um I think just as a movie though if you just watch this movie as a comedy it's one of the funnest times I've had like watching a comedy in a long time mm-hmm. and and it didn't really feel that long to me like because I was just <laughs> laughing the whole time right uh it's so over the top and stupid in so many ways and so often that i i uh i kind of think it's his best movie
2: interesting like
1: like I, i i was really weighing this in my head because like hereditary is this like clean beautiful like sculpted thing that does this horror thing has something to say gets in gets out and tells you everything you need to know there's no edges to it it's smooth it goes down really and it's very affecting it's beautifully made all this stuff Mm -hmm. this movie is this huge ridiculous thing that takes you on turns it's a roller coaster ride and i just think it's the most enjoyable to watch of his movies i guess is what i'd say Mm -hmm. um i immediately wanted to watch it again (laughs) like (laughs) And I've not heard anybody have this opinion, so I could be very wrong. But Mm. I think it's about the expectation is that people want thoughtful horror from him. And he was just like, no. (laughs) Uh (laughs) I'm going to give you... Something else. psycho fucking insane comedy. And I think if you don't think this is funny, if you don't think like... uh, If you don't think the central
2: premise of a... like world-renowned you know like hot as shit could sell anything he wants horror director coming at you and being like what if i make a comedy about what it feels like to be jewish like
1: (laughs) yes because he was saying like in the interview that he wanted it to be like an albert brooks mel brooks kind of comedy but just like heightened Mm -hmm. um and that's what it is like it's just fucking nuts um it's so stupid it had like the ending when i say there's a monster in it like <laughs> it's <laughs> i i was just like crying laughing uh at, at the end of it and i think it's because the tone and the look has some of the feelings from because it's you know the comedy is the worst thing you can possibly imagine is happening to mm-hmm. him and if you don't think that's funny uh you're not gonna like this but I think you give yourself the permission to just laugh at it and know that that's the point. You're going to have a great time. So I would say don't like, don't strap in and like get ready to be like taught something or have to deal with fear or whatever. It's not about that. Mm -hmm. Just make popcorn, watch a hilarious movie. That's like three episodes long. Great movie. I loved it. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's get back to Tarantino. Let's this get back
2: to it, folks.
1: Our feature presentation. Uh it is called Oh, I don't have it up, but it's called True Romance. True
2: Romance, 1993 American romantic crime film written by Quentin Tarantino, directed by Tony Scott.
1: Tony Scott.
2: Who is
1: it's Starring Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Gary Oldman, Christopher Walken has a lot of names in this. Mm-hmm.
2: Val um, Kilmer, Brad Pitt, uh, James Gandolfini in a like absolutely spellbinding moment where you're just <laughs> like, I'm sorry, what?
1: <laughs> Why is Tony Soprano here beating up Patricia Tr- 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 Arquette?
2: Unbelievable, yeah. And Chris Penn is in it. Um,
1: it's got all the people. Yeah, in a it. couple
2: other people are around. Um, but those are your big. Oh, Samuel Jackson. Michael Rapaport, yeah, fucking crazy lineup in this. Actually, uh huh. When you think about it, and this
1: it. But- is uh, this is uh, Tony Scott's, what is it, maybe f- sixth, seventh film? Mm-hmm. Uh He's had some huge hits: Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop, Days of Thunder. Yeah. All movies that I fucking hate. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> uh, True Romance is a movie that you know he makes. After the Last Boy Scout, which is a buddy cop movie with a fucking Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans Uh, I don't know (laughs) which did really well apparently Um, and I don't know much about the production of this movie but um, uh, Tarantino sold this script like Jeremy said earlier Um, he sold it to I guess uh, Warner Brothers or or, or maybe Morgan Creek or something Um, somebody bought it And they had Tony Scott direct it. Um, Warner Brothers distributed it. It's produced by Morgan Creek Productions. Um, Can't remember who those people were. That was like the Robinson family. James G. Robinson. Um, Anyway. So this movie is basically Badlands. (laughs) Uh,
2: I don't know Badlands.
1: Badlands is Terrence Malick's first film, which is... I, we won't get into Terrence Malik. I'm not a big fan. Reminds um, me a
2: lot of um, Natural Born Killers, which is also a, um, I think is also a, a, possibly a script that he sold or something like that. He has story credit for Natural Born Killers.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, which is um, just like he loves this story of uh, a guy and a girl being bad, Bonnie and Clyde type shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie—it's just movie, funny
2: that it's like it's a super similar movie to Natural Born Killers, and like. It literally yeah. is just like a bunch of different production companies just go to Quentin Tarantino and they're like, what should we do? And he just gives them all the same idea. <laughs> and they
0: just he's go a, out and he's make a, it.
1: He's a bit of a grifter, this guy. I love it. So, why well, don't, b- before we, uh, you're going to find out my opinions on this movie uh, if we start talking about what it's about. But, um, what, what is your history? Have you seen this movie?
2: Never seen it. Okay. Uh, you never, never, seen it. never really thought much about it. Um, For whatever reason, I mean, like, I've always been a Tarantino fan, but, like, stuff that he's, like, peripherally involved with has never really, like, jumped out at me as something to go and seek out.
1: Because so much of what's cool about his later output is the visuals Mm -hmm. uh, and and the style of his whole vibe. And if you have somebody else, like Tony Scott, who, in my opinion, sucks and has barely made a good movie... Uh, why would I want to see it? So Exactly,
2: and so my, my take on these written by Quentin Tarantino movies is kind of what my feeling on this ended up being, where, like, ultimately I'm going to be spending a good amount of the time watching it just thinking about what it would have been like if Quentin Tarantino yeah. directed it, you know? Exactly, <laughs> like, For and, sure. and that's, you know, even if, like, I do think this is a decent movie and I would, you know... I would say it's it stands on its own as a movie but it's like I mean ultimately it's always going to be a hindrance to your enjoyment of a movie if the only thing you're thinking about the whole time is what if the most famous author of our day was the one who who directed this instead of sold it so that he could fil- he could uh, finance a movie.
1: Yeah, and I I I absolutely I know how you feel and I I've also been uninterested especially because I'm not as big of a, uh, a Tarantino fan and when I think he does a really good job it's because of something larger mm-hmm. um, and not just because I think he's a good writer which I, I think he his uh, you know we'll get this we'll get to this throughout the whole month but I think Tarantino's unsung absolute talent is his dialog mm-hmm. Um and I mean Real Tarantino heads know that, and 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 do talk about it. But I think a lot of the conversation around him is his stealing from '60s, you know, action films, and and you know, doing cool fights and stuff. And that's mm-hmm. a part of it. But I think a, the reason that he uh, is where he is is because of his like impeccable talent for conversational dialogue. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and specifically conversational dialogue that feels extremely real and natural between people who don't exist in the real world. That's what's so fascinating about it is his ability to like invent a type of guy and then have him talk to another invented type of guy in a way that you're like, this is perfect, makes perfect sense. Like this is how this guy talks, even though I've never met anybody like this and I never (laughs) will.
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, and sometimes it's, I mean, sometimes it's, Nazi generals. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes like sometimes it's uh, girls who are stunt drivers, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, like, and I I think that while death proof isn't a great movie, like I think some of the best stuff he's done is in that movie where it's just like girls who are stunt drivers talking around a table and it's incredibly compelling somehow. Um, This movie, (laughs) I don't, Okay, so this movie I saw in college, and it Mm -hmm. was one of those movies, one of the first movies that gets people really mad at me. (laughs) Where I had a lot of friends who were like, yeah, True Truman's so cool, so so it's such a fun movie. We saw it in the school theater, and I fucking hate this movie. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I hated it at the time. Uh, I was assuming it wouldn't change, and it didn't. Um, So this movie is about... Uh, A cringe loser (laughs) who uh, has no friends and sucks (laughs) and is a rockabilly Elvis uh, nerd nerd. uh, who is basically is Quentin (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, it's a he's a heightened version of Quentin Tarantino Um, he he doesn't have any friends or do anything cool he just works at a comic book store and uh, his boss hires a call girl for him to get laid um for inexplicable reasons uh she decides that she loves him <laughs> uh based on his horrible personality mm-hmm. uh and nothing else um and then they decide that they're in love and get married yes um the premise of this movie is so infuriating to me that i like <laughs> i don't forgive anything else in this movie Mm -hmm. uh, because that whole opening sequence is ridiculous. Uh, And then he's just like haunted by the fact that she ever had a pimp. There's no reason for this movie to happen. He's just like, Elvis is the specter of his, like, toxic masculinity, and -hmm. he's like, I better go kill that guy for no reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It's not like
2: she's under any direct threat. You kind of get the sense that if they just, like, left town, that wouldn't be a problem.
1: (laughs) No. They could just go, (laughs) and it's not like, they they don't even have to leave town, like. Mm You don't get the sense really in this movie that he gives a shit about this. Per- like she just started another thing that doesn't make any sense. She's just like on a lark becoming <laughs> involved with uh, a horrible, dangerous pimp kingpin or whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, she's, she's done this for three days, I guess. Um, and she's like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. And then that, 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 that would be a problem at all. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And then he So he is like I'm gonna go kill this guy It's Gary Oldman Playing a white guy uh, 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 um, Whatever the word is that Whatever supposed you're to supposed to, to call
2: them <laughs> nowadays He's one of them uh, <laughs> Yeah, He fucking rocks in this I think Gary Oldman's character in this I, So here's my first Drexel, Spivy. Drexel rocks I think my first big problem with the movie Is that There's like too many parts i guess that don't feel like we get enough of them and i'm happy with all of them but like i kind of am like i wish like the thing that makes me feel bad about the movie overall is that like you know i think drexel is a really fun character and we don't really get a lot of time with him and i think um christopher walken's mob boss character is a really fun character we don't get enough time with him and you know uh Christian Slater's dad, Dennis Hopper, her. is really fun and we don't get enough time with him. And all these characters are like really interesting, but we just get them for a couple seconds in service of moving forward this plot that like I don't really give a shit about too much. Yes, I, and like yes. I, I really don't care about fucking you know, we we get so much more of 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 Brad Pitt and Michael Rappaport as these like <laughs> dipshit actor roommates than we ever get of of these cool characters like drexel is gone for so long and then we're just like spending all this time with fucking with with like this like actor producer guy who's friends with michael rapaport and you're like i don't know it, it all feels like it all feels like um like, it was all in service of getting them to L.A. where everything can center around showbiz because that's what Quentin knows. Yeah, And it kind of makes you feel like, I don't know, man, maybe you should have just started the movie in L.A. to begin with. I don't mm-hmm. know why we had to, like, change locations this way, <laughs> like, except to have a cool car, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the road trip section of it just feels really tacked on and useless. So mm-hmm. so just real quick, the, the, the plot is real paint by numbers. He kills this pimp, and then steals all their drugs. Yeah, he's got
2: a big suitcase full um, of cocaine, he steals it. Turns out that he was selling that cocaine for the mafia, so the mafia is now after Christian Slater. Uh, they go to Hollywood to try to sell all this cocaine because they, this is actually kind of a funny bit, I think, that like, the the way that they try to unload all this cocaine is that they're just like, yeah, producers in Hollywood love coke, let's just go sell <laughs> it there. <laughs> so they go out to hollywood to, to try well, to sell yeah a his
1: like dumb actor friend he's like oh he probably he knows a producer so that mm-hmm. guy will probably know where to sell it yeah and so they go
2: out to la to, to try to make this happen um
1: the rest of the plot is them trying to sell it that's mm-hmm.
2: it they're trying to sell it to this big movie producer who himself is a joy i like the guy who plays okay. the movie producer a lot
1: this is the part i'm going to completely agree with you on mm-hmm. this guy is the best thing in the movie. Yes. Like I wish we b- like, got more of him <laughs> by, by a huge margin. Like yeah. Saul Rubinek as Donny, uh, Lee Donovitz, uh, incredible. I yes. love his performance. He's really I love fun. the way he's written. And this is the thing: is that Quentin Tarantino knows this guy. Yes. Like this guy's uh-huh. a real guy. He he's not a huge producer, but he's acting like he's a huge producer. He's done one movie that won an Academy Award, mm-hmm. and. And this guy just like he's so well observed, he's so well drawn. I love that guy. And yeah, he's I wish a lot of fun. I, I love wish we got like him. these
2: stupid things that he does, where he's like, um, where his like bodyguards are like, "Hey, he's packing," and he's like, "I can give up my gun." He's like, "Please, don't worry about <laughs> it." You're like. <laughs> You could totally see this guy just trying to like be all cordial and cool. And be He's like, trying
1: to big time everyone around to them. Keep
2: your gun; it's okay.
1: <laughs> that's not necessary. We're all friends. We're all friends. It's yeah, incredible. Perfect pitch, perfect. Yeah, and I think it's my personal opinion the only thing in this movie that is like good and like, yeah, that's really like
2: the only thing in, in the movie that at least is like. Like you said, pitch perfect, yeah. absolutely perfectly observed, perfectly acted. That's that's really incredible. I think there's other stuff that like rises to a like a decent height. Like I said before, I think Gary Oldman's performance is incredible. I think um, I think Christopher yeah, I Walken don't... is a lot of fun. I think the the scene with him and Dennis Hopper together, even though it is like I, this is another one of those things like with with early Quentin in particular where it's, it's the, like
1: it's his worst. it's
2: his his worst it's his worst trait he loves dropping big time ends and and this one it's like a big long conversation where dennis hopper is like by the way you're sicilian you know that sicilian people are basically black right
1: yeah and and it's like
2: what's sicilian by the way this is where like you know it's it's kind of like why the detroit stuff doesn't work and why i told you i had a film professor in college who who would always go on these (laughs) rants about um about filmmakers leaving the city that they know and how like every time Mm, they leave the city that they know they make their worst movie is because like you don't talk about stuff that you don't know much about, right? And you always come off stupid when you do. And and what Sicilian guy in the fucking world <laughs> doesn't know that there's a whole lot of mixing in Sicily with Africans? Everybody fucking knows that. Yeah, and Anybody who's so ever even heard of Sicily knows
1: that. And would be so infuriated and insulted at the suggestion. Yeah. And it's like, it's one of those things where...
2: Yeah, Sicilian people will happily and proudly tell you about like African warlords that they think they're related
1: to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things and I we might as well talk about it now uh because it does heavily appear here. And I think there's also a problem. This is what I don't like Drexel because I don't like Drexel because I think it's a Tony Scott problem. Mm-hmm. Uh because he's too over the top for this movie. Sure. Like I think Drexel should be Alien from Spring Breakers. Okay. Like yeah. that's how he's really written is just like an actual white guy who talks like that, and you know i I hate the like weird thing where he's like carrying around the hanging lamp. yeah, i, I don't I don't get he's it's, it's like he's in an alien movie or something like mm-hmm. I don't get what that's supposed to be. His performance is he's not he doesn't even sound American me like he barely sounds
2: i think he's trying to sound jamaican is the thing
1: it's i I hate whatever this is i (laughs) i i find it it's one of those things that like takes me so out of a movie that i'm just like what is
2: (laughs) i'm very amused by i i was thinking that he looks like it's funny he looks like captain jack sparrow Uh,
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah he looks like a Jack Sparrow type. I mean, I, I agree with you about Christopher Walken. I mean, Christopher Walken's a delight to see mm-hmm. in a movie like this showing up. And, him and, and him and Dennis job.
2: Hopper have great chemistry together in that scene. Great. Absolutely. And if you just, like, drop this, like, insistence on this, like, you know, Sicilians are basically black. Like, yeah if you just drop that and just have them talk to each other more like that scene could absolutely sing you know a
1: hundred percent and and i mean i do hate the scene because of what it actually is but like you're absolutely right like they're titans of acting Mm -hmm. and and doing a great job even with this stupid sophomoric racist yeah uh scene um which this is why Tarantino for me contains so much multi so many multitudes, you know, he 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 At this point in his life, he may not know how racist he is I Mm -hmm. I I think that Tarantino is an autistic white kid Sure with a good heart like he really doesn't think he's racist Mm -hmm. like he's writing characters who are racist in this weird heightened way that he thinks is kind of funny and cool I think, it, like, I think inside his mind, he's like, well, people are racist, so it must be like this, because he doesn't know how it actually is, mm-hmm. Um, and so he's, like, taking these weird, like, movie things that he's seen, black exploitation ideas, exploitation generally, and then mixing them up with, like, how he thinks other people behave, because I literally think he's deep on the spectrum sure and so I think you get these things that are so embarrassing in his movies and I don't know why people give him a pass on those things like he's still great I mean he's still done such great stuff but I just mean like you can call this shit like it is Mm -hmm. shit uh it's bad and he shouldn't have written it and (laughs) no one should have made it yeah um but I I I, yes I can't like but you're right, like Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper do great work with what they have because you see his amazing writing skills mm-hmm. even when the topic has all of these dumb, weird problems that he has. Right. Um, and I think that's it's what makes him really interesting. He's such a product of his own culture mm-hmm. and he is this weird sieve and magnet and uh he's a rubik's cube for culture Mm -hmm. and it's what makes him so interesting uh but i think he also gets stupid shit like this um so i think we're gonna continue to see that but i think what what's interesting is he actually kind of takes that and makes it cool like with django
2: sure yeah yeah
1: yeah. um he 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 sort of starts listening and learning a little more from his friends who are black Mm -hmm. someone like samuel jackson who kind of Makes him understand certain things and where the limits are and what his and his... Samuel
2: Jackson, who is also kind of like, I I mean this is like very parasocial. I'd imagine to to <laughs> be like reading this into it, but I feel like he's like a true friend to Quentin in a lot of ways, where like he does kind of like he does set him right on so many things in his career, but also stands up for him so many times when yeah. like uh when like Spike Lee comes out against him and says like he's saying the N word in all his movies and whatever and like and like. Samuel Jackson, who didn't need to do this at all, I always remember this quote where he comes out and he's like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, sure, maybe he says some fucked up things in his movies and whatever, but he also makes good movies, which Spike hasn't done in a while. And <laughs> yeah, you're it's like, damn, so, buddy.
1: It's like, Jesus. And you're in Jesus.
2: his movie. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, that's, some that's somebody who movie.
2: also you're friends with.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, they must, you know, Sam Jackson just keeps it, so insanely real yes and, and <laughs> like with everyone it's like undeniable and his views on the n-word are also really interesting and and i feel like he was able to get through to quinn tarantino on what he's trying to do and help him do it better yeah um like again in django in all of his movies in jackie brown i mean but this this stuff to me, I I I can't, I I I I'm not gonna I'm not saying it's a, I'm not gonna give it a pass, and mm-hmm. it's also in a movie that I mostly think is fucking stupid, um, yeah. because the movie is a pretty paint by numbers, like, you know, Badlands is not much different from this movie, like it's about a 25-year-old who meets a 15-year-old Sissy Spacek who's actually not 15 in the movie but she's supposed to be and he's like this weird drifter murderer guy he murders the dad and then they run away together but they're also in love and the the um the score is actually really similar and apparently according to the wikipedia for true romance uh the score is like a direct homage to badlands Oh
2: yeah the score is such a problem in this movie too It's I, a
1: huge problem <laughs> It is
2: so fucking whack every time something interesting happens in the movie at all it sounds like the beginning of fucking under the sea <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: What is happening? <laughs> what is happening? You have Why? this big
2: tearful goodbye between between Christian Slater and Dennis Hopper, where he's like, Good luck out there, you know, uh, good luck and, and and stay safe and whatever. And like, you know, he's about to get murdered by the mafia and you just get this do
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it, it sometimes has this sort of like jaunty like, okay, the scene's ending. And something good is happening and in mm-hmm. those moments it like i guess it works in a 90s sort of like cheesy over saccharin kind of way um i guess saccharin already means over saccharin, but you know what i'm saying but but there's a lot of places where it's like over dramatic <laughs> parts and it just undercuts everything that could be conceived of as good about those parts um just awful, Hans Zimmer. What the fuck were you thinking? I know. How yeah. Did, it's <laughs> how did you let this happen? I mean, Hans Zimmer is great. I mean, he's one of the most. I mean, he he does. He's a big like popcorn score, and I think he gets some sort of like, whatever. Who cares what sure. other people think? Whatever. I think he's. I think he's an incredible <laughs> artist. I think he's knows what one he's of...
2: fucking doing at the very least. <laughs>
1: like... Yeah, I mean, he takes movies like a dune and inception and you know an interstellar and makes the best part of those movies which is the score um and yeah this is embarrassing this and ain't it makes it the chief. Mo- it makes a pretty bad movie even <laughs> like laughably bad in places um whenever you hear the score uh yeah and then so they sell to this this uh cool guy Don- uh lee donowitz and uh <coughs> and then um the cops are wiring up their their go between guy, and and then the cops show up, and then the mafia shows up, and everybody shows up for a big Mexican standoff because it's Tarantino, mm-hmm. and then everyone gets shot. And in the in the script, everyone gets shot, and Tarantino was they were supposed to die.
2: I, this is interesting because I was thinking that I was like, this is very unTarantino like that they have a happy ending. I was right. like, usually they would not get away.
1: But Tony Scott was like, I I like these characters. I want them.
2: (laughs) I want them to have a kid and it's going to be cute.
1: Yeah. And so that's what happens. They just get away with all the money. I like it. (laughs) This is what should happen. This movie is not serious enough. (laughs) It's not cool enough to have some sort of like cool blaze of glory ending. Like Mm -hmm. these characters don't really work like that, especially because... I don't know. It's hard to imagine what Tarantino would have done because Tarantino or Tony Scott's version of Clarence seems like a cringe loser. Yes. And it's like he's suppo- like the movie knows he sucks and like is a lame ass But at the same weirdo. time, I'm interested in s- how they kind guy. of like
2: only bring it up every so often where like you know they have their initial date where they're at the kung fu movie and then they go to the comic book store and he's like, "You want to see what Spider Man number one looks like?" And you're like, "All right, I get it. You know this is that character." And then like that doesn't really reappear for a long time. And then there's like the one random scene where where um, where Alabama's getting the shit beat out of her by Tony Soprano and and he's just like at the burger stand, just being like, "That is the best." article i've ever read about elvis can i sit and talk to you about elvis for a little while and, and like
1: strangers like leave me alone leave freak. me alone
2: please i don't care and <laughs> she's just getting her shit absolutely fucking rocked and he's like he's like you know people don't talk enough about how great elvis was yeah it's <laughs> the only other time they really like bring you back to that i guess
1: that he's a weirdo that he's that...
2: a fucking freak yeah and
1: and, and i did again I don't know why he is like mm. the only reason is is because it's Tarantino Yeah, and this is a this is a this is like the most power fantasy Tarantino ever got like he wrote a movie where he wrote himself getting Yeah, a it's cool about girlfriend, him getting
2: getting laid by a really hot chick and who then, has
1: no personality except thinks that everything he likes is cool when yep. he shows it to her mm-hmm. and then and then doing a successful drug deal and getting a bunch of money. And And
2: killing a bunch of really tough, powerful people.
1: Right, and then like the end of the movie is so insane. Like, she literally is like, during the whole thing I was just thinking, you're so cool.
0: I know,
2: she (laughs) writes on the little napkin, you're so cool. You're so
1: cool. It's like, what is this? (laughs) Come the fuck on, man. This is so embarrassing. Like. I just can't believe that But
2: it, at the I, same time there's a part of me that's like, dude, respect that you <laughs> like that you wrote this like absolutely atrocious like that like anybody who's like now looking back on it with like the perspective of what his career is, like the fact that the opening scene is like at a kung fu movie and then they go to the comic book store and then like he talks about Elvis and all this stupid shit and you're just like you're like respect that you wrote the most like self-indulgent piece of shit. And then sold it to someone else. Like, he didn't make this movie. Somebody else made it. They bought this piece of shit off of him. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, man, that's all you, buddy. Go nuts with it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, sure. (laughs) You know, I mean, like, they say write what you know. You know, write a character about yourself being a cool action guy or whatever. And, like, just having... Insane sway and insane pull, and like getting a prostitute to quit her job yeah. so that she'll spend her life with you. And this
2: guy who's like never done a drug deal in his life, who doesn't know what to do with cocaine when he has it, suddenly when he's on the phone with the producer guys, like let's talk about Doctor Zhivago and I guess- like you know <laughs> this movie is gonna be. I just want to premiere it at Cannes. You know, like he knows yeah. all this stuff and like he knows how to like talk around it, and whatever. Ridiculous. Which is not
1: which is not stuff that like hipster kids knew at the time Mm -hmm. like in 1993 if you asked any random 20 year old what can was yeah they would not be they would have not any fucking idea like this is a nerd this is a huge nerd who shouldn't know anything he's wearing the fucking elvis sunglasses the whole time Mm -hmm. it sucks um so as a movie we're at time i hate this like <laughs> i hate it so much and i we talked about the things that are fun about it uh obviously there lee donovitz is in it christian uh, uh not christian bale uh christian why can't bale's th- in it <laughs> christian, <laughs> christian fucking bale's in christopher walken and and, yeah. and uh and dennis hopper you know great actors great they're actors in, they're in it but like patricia arquette annoying Whole yeah, not movie great. annoying. Christian Slater not great. Their relationship, nothing. Nothing. They're, no chemistry. They're they're and like the the there's scenes where they just like like the scene where they call the guy on the payphone and then they just start like making out and fucking or whatever in the payphone. Mm-hmm. It's like what am I supposed to be? F- what is this am You're i supposed to be, to be thinking, laughing wow,
2: quentin tarantino is pretty fucking cool He's <laughs> so
1: cool this chick and just wants
2: to suck his dick all the time
1: <laughs> it's one of those movies that is just like isn't this cool and i'm just like i have secondhand embarrassment about this movie like i can't i it it, it feel this movie is nails on a chalkboard for me
2: but For you know sure. what again it's like I think that there's something interesting in the idea that like he had the he had the self-awareness and the foresight to have not been Troy Duffy here and to have been like this movie kind of stinks I'm going to make something else you know like I, I think I, I I think I would have been interested to see what his take on this was I almost feel still like maybe what would happen if he just like what if he just made a remake, remake. of his own movie
1: <laughs> Honestly i don't think he wants to make this movie no i don't think like so. Is, I think, he's
2: so far beyond this guy
1: i don't think he but i don't think he wanted to make it at the time mm-hmm. like i don't think he thought this was that cool it was just like a thing he shit out Probably he had a, probably just a bunch of movies. Yeah, that it's he almost would, like,
2: like yeah, it's like it's like it's like jerking off to just get the come out. You know, you're just like I just have to get this out of me. <laughs> I just have to be done with it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that that I I don't want this. My opinion on this movie doesn't really reflect on Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. I think it like, I think it's an example of how lame he can be. And I, but I think that he has a certain self-awareness, like making this character not like an incredible gunsmith,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: like an actual loser whose one talent is talking, which I think is probably Tarantino at the time, that was his big talent, is that he was getting meetings, he was getting, uh, you know, he was convincing people that he could do stuff, mm-hmm. and you know, he didn't know how what he was doing. But he saw that he was just like if you just be passionate, if you just play like you know what you're doing, people will believe you. And I think that's, you know, Clarence's big power here is that he's just like, I believe in what I want and what I think, and that's what I'm gonna present to these people, and he, he keeps winning. Yeah. So if there is like a um like an actual parallel, it's that he is <laughs> that Clarence and Tarantino have the same like just like I want to do something and so I'm going to walk into a situation where I'm out manned out experienced (laughs) outgunned, and I'm just going to say well I'm going to do this and you're going to like it
2: it's interesting too because again it's like the the parallel to this and the Troy Duffy story are so interesting because it really is like this is the movie that he had written that he had in the can that like he was probably taking around to people and like, because Troy gotta, Duffy's the Boondock Saints guy, yeah, by yeah, the yeah. way, listener. Because it's like you know, the, the this is the movie that he had that he was shopping around because he got to shop it around to sell it. Like somebody bought this from him, and, mm-hmm. and and it's it's it kind of lends a little bit of insight, I think, to why Troy Duffy was able to get to where he was. Because I think people looked at this probably the same way they looked at Boondock Saints, where they're like, "This is kind of a piece of shit," but like, what's his next movie gonna be like? You know and and Quentin had the foresight and the the wisdom to be able to say like I'm just going to go straight to my next movie and mm-hmm. Troy Duffy is the one who was like no everybody says this rocks so I'm going to fucking make this and <laughs> fuck anybody who says no I'm going to make the thing that people like
1: <laughs> right uh and and I mean yeah <laughs> I don't know how much true romance affected pulp fiction because mm-hmm. the sequence of events is reservoir dogs and then true romance right and then pulp fiction but i think um, it, i
2: i would assume that that's mostly because uh true romance took longer to make
1: right but i so that's what i mean like he had he appa- according to the wikipedia he Wanted to direct Truman's initially, but then like just randomly lost interest and was like, "Man, I don't want to. I don't actually want to direct this one." Mm-hmm. And then sold it, and and then he made *Reservoir Dogs*. <laughs> um, so, and it's interesting too because this kind of he was has, happening at the same time.
2: He has *Pulp Fiction*, and then he's got like, he's got *Natural Born Killers*, *It's Pat*, *Crimson Tide*, Four Rooms* and from dusk till dawn and the rock all before jackie brown these are all things that he either wrote explicitly or like contributed in some way to so it's interesting that even after pulp fiction like there's still some burn-off of this era of his life where he's just kind of like doing stories and like kind of like selling shit to just i assume finance some of his work right yeah of course
1: it's very Um, interesting you mean between Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown?
2: Yeah, there's a whole bunch of shit in here that it looks like he's just taking script work, because even after Pulp Fiction, like, and that's, right. I mean, that's a huge fucking major hit, and he still yes. has to do this shit, or maybe it's just like, maybe he sold it all the same year that he's working on Pulp Fiction, just keep himself afloat while he's working on it or something.
1: Yeah, my guess from this, and, and remember, there's a huge, we haven't, we're not talking about Pulp Fiction, but like, Roger Avery... Claims that he co wrote Pulp Fiction, and there was a whole thing with that, mm. uh, where he was like struggling. You know, he felt like he was, I think, he sued Quentin, uh, whatever. Um, point is, is that I think my sense is that 94 Multiple Killers, it's pad is probably a writing job he had in 1992 <laughs> mm-hmm. and was just like doing rewrites or whatever. Crimson Tide, same deal. Four Rooms is a short story that he probably wrote I would guess before the 90s um from Dust Till Dawn hmm
2: he is the writer i mean that's he, the
1: Well yeah that one cuz that's the one where he meets Robert Rodriguez so mm-hmm. uh i bet he like straight up wrote that one but he's probably like working on he's probably like okay i have my hit what do i do next like what do i what's my next big move so he's probably like Resting on his laurels, enjoying the time he can to like figure out what that's going to be. My guess is that he probably almost did the thing people want to do and be like, okay, I'll make Kill Bill now. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And or something big, you know, something he really wanted to do. But then he's like, no, wait, maybe I'll make Jackie Brown and have another like solid. Yeah, you know hit.
2: what? Kill Bill is his uh is afraid. It's his bows afraid. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's and Jackie doesn't...
2: Brown is is his Midsommar, I guess
1: Mm mm-hmm the the often forgotten (laughs) uh but very solid movie um so yeah so that's that's true romance uh for him uh i hate it (laughs) i really fucking dis i mean it's like i didn't like it very much when i saw it and i didn't really remember why i just remember being kind of cringe and i don't like tony scott in general i don't like the way his movies look i don't like his sensibility have you ever seen days of thunder no it's like one of the most embarrassing. i have seen top gun
2: and i've seen beverly hills cop too and i think those are the only <laughs> movies of his that i've seen
1: days of thunder is like an embarrassing piece of shit like i it's funny because those movies are like successful right like they're like 80s blockbuster movies yeah um but i that's the thing like they were just like stupid schlock for the lowest common denominator and i hate that kind of shit and this and i just don't like his whole vibe and I, it's it's weird because When Tony Scott died, a lot of like film Twitter people were like, oh, shout out Tony, like best guy, one of the best directors. And it's like, the guy made like no good movies. (laughs) I I mean like, if you like Top Gun, I haven't seen it still, fine, maybe that's a great movie. It's not a great movie,
2: it's just a fun time.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly. But like, all of his movies suck fucking dick. Like so bad, just embarrassing, aged poorly, dog shit I don't know why people like this guy his movies are embarrassing all of the time um so this movie doesn't have anything going for it that I would like it's Tarantino's worst inclinations uh it's Tony Scott bringing absolutely nothing to the table one of the worst scores for an action adventure movie I've ever heard Uh, (laughs) uh and I think even Christian Slater just like doesn't you know his acting isn't great. Chris, Patricia Arquette is so annoying, has nothing to do. And the little bright spots of Dennis Hopper and and, and Christopher Walken, not enough to save this movie at all. So yeah. I, big avoid, do not recommend, two thumbs down for me.
2: Yeah, I'm going to say uh, probably still a not recommend. Um, I think there's maybe a few redeeming qualities in here that you know, similar to my recommendation for Reservoir Dogs, I think like there are things here that, in a broader sense, I would recommend it for. Um, I don't think as a movie standalone. Just thinking of it as a sure. movie, I don't recommend it. I don't recommend watching it. <laughs> uh, I think. But
1: do you think it's fun? Like, did you like watching it? I had a good time.
2: Yeah, I had a pretty okay. good time watching it. Um, I think it moved fine. Um, it's it goes down easy. There's nothing really that drags. Um, so it's an easy watch. I wouldn't say like you know, avoid it on those accounts. Uh, I think there's stuff in here that's worth it for, like, for example, uh, James Gandolfini's breakout role. This is, like, historically a very important piece. <laughs> like, this is where, yeah. this is what he gets discovered from. He's he's nobody before this. He gets this role, and this is what gets him The Sopranos. So really? that is, that's an interesting little piece altogether. Um, he's and
1: get shorty, too.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's around. He's like an actor, he's getting work here and there, but I mean, uh, allegedly uh David Chase saw this or somebody saw this and showed it to David Chase and hmm. this was how he got the job over the guy who ends up playing Jackie Aprile cuz Jackie Aprile was supposed oh. to be Tony Soprano originally, which it would make it a totally I mean, it's it 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 bends your mind to even think of somebody else as Tony Soprano, but somebody else was going to be Tony Soprano.
1: Of course. I mean, yeah, who knows?
2: But um Yeah, I mean, I think, like, that's worth it. I think, um,
1: I don't know. This show would suck if Jackie April (laughs) was Tony Soprano. (laughs) Can you imagine? What the fuck?
2: No charisma. No sex appeal.
1: That's one one thing that's interesting about uh, Tony's uh, performance in this movie is that he's younger and thinner Mm -hmm. and looks so much worse. Yeah. Like, uh his, like, little smile and stuff is like, this guy is, so ugly. Oh yeah, but you like, know what's fun is you can gigantic. see
2: you can see the little bits of Tony start to formulate there, where like he doesn't talk like Tony he doesn't have the New Jersey accent quite, but there's like the little things that he does where he like he like starts to yell and then he like like suppresses it and like yells under his breath like this, you know, like yeah. the, the way that he's like you fucking bitch, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> like, that, this is the first time you see him do that, and you're like, ooh, this
0: <laughs> That's is that you're
2: accessing this, you're accessing this later. You you're thinking as an actor on set you're saying like oh i did that in that one piece mm-hmm. what if come out like a
1: fucking bitch <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh shout out to gandolfini who almost, Sh- yeah uh, really
2: shout out to 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 gandolfini
1: threatened to beat up harvey weinstein
2: <laughs> hell yeah dude fucking um, king um so i think that's worth it i think um you know, as much as it's stupid and stands out, I think Gary oldman as as Captain Black Sparrow is pretty funny <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> Captain Black Sparrow is so good
2: uh, I think um otherwise, yeah, not a whole ton in here is like super super worth it for, but I think I'd still give it like a soft recommend just in terms of that You'll stuff and, and and everything. as sort of a funny like <laughs> it's 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 funny to think about because it's so like it's so Tarantino-y like in terms of like the pieces that are there but it's not a Tarant. so it's like it it has the it has the feeling of post-Tarantino movies trying to ape Tarantino's style yeah which is really sure. funny <laughs>
1: <You know? laughs> like, but he hasn't even like he hasn't even become there's what he's no full fiction yet but it
2: feels like it's a shitty student movie where they're like I'm into comic books and kung fu and stuff and like yeah, I just naturally <laughs> liked them before Tarantino even like came into my life. Yeah, and, and like
1: I... girls think I'm hot for that. And girls think I'm fucking hot for. And I have about like Spider-Man a gun, and like, I'm like not afraid to use it. It's so stupid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So take for take that what you will. Yeah. Uh, luckily, we're moving on to Jackie Brown, which is for a while was my favorite uh, Tarantino mm-hmm. movie. Uh, I I've would seen say, it since
2: I was very young
1: yes and that that's been. I'm interested now because I I've been for a long time standing up for that movie mm-hmm. um because there was a period when I was younger where you know IMDB top 250 dumbasses were like boring not very good watch Kill Bill instead whatever yeah and I was like no this is a really good movie uh and that that opinion now is everywhere like yeah I was gonna say it seems (laughs) like it's basically
2: like it feels like Jackie Brown is either your favorite Quentin Tarantino one or it's the one you either haven't seen or don't remember those are the two versions of it that exist now and for me it's the one that I barely remember I don't really super remember it
1: yeah um so I'm looking
2: forward to watching because it's gonna be basically like watching it for the first time for me
1: (laughs) that's great I mean what I remember De Niro De Niro's a joy in this movie uh and you, you don't get to see De Niro doing fun shit uh, mm-hmm. very often anymore. So that's a good, this is from what I remember. It's a great time. Uh, it's a good movie. And uh, I'm excited to watch it again. I, I'm curious, though, if it's as good as I remember it, because my current, I would probably say, if you had to put a gun to my head, my favorite Tarantino movie now is uh, Bastards. Mm. Um, which i think is a like just reaches the highest highs that he's ever attained yeah i think i probably
2: agree with you but maybe after this month we'll do kind of like a reassessment of our yeah absolutely Um, because i'm going to try to watch as much of his as much of his shit as i can this month
1: now be careful we must decide this soon then because we do have a host pick. we do
2: have a host pick yeah so
1: we will see what that actually will be and then save that obviously till the end yeah but um, i mean
2: maybe we got to do hollywood because we're doing this chronologically right now
1: i would really prefer not to do that because <laughs> i hate that movie uh i mean I, i'm not uninterested in revisiting it and giving it a second shot because there are good parts of that movie like mm-hmm. that movie doesn't and it's especially
2: like i know we both had very negative reactions to it and so many people who i respect so much have like really come out in favor of it and like people call it their favorite one so you know we'll we'll see with that uh
1: (laughs) yeah uh but i just i mean my well we'll talk about it if we do it anyway uh next week is jackie brown um and that's what we're gonna do so watch that if you'd like to watch along with us um otherwise Thank you for listening to the Generation Loss podcast. If you'd like to hear more of our show, you can go to patreon.com slash generation loss and become a subscriber, a Patreon subscriber, where you will get a bonus episode every week, um, which we talk about movie news, your emails, often the, the place where you actually live. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh we also talk about the movie trailers and we also if you'd like to join the sopranos tier the the il costa nostra you can vote on what television show we are watch our what prestige drama show we're watching this month this month it is rome season 2 um the rome season 1 episode just came out um rome season 2 starts this month and if you aren't in the sopranos tier and want to join Right now is the time to join because this is the month we are going to be voting or we're watching in August. Um so we have no idea what it's gonna be. If you'd like to nominate, if you wanna be there to nominate and vote, join Sopranos here right now. Uh if you wanna tell us what to watch on the main episodes, you can join the Dark Council. Uh the Dark Council is six months (laughs) strong and that's crazy none of us neither of us thought that was going to happen didn't even think Uh, we're going to get it once not (laughs) (laughs) but thank you so much we appreciate our council members so deeply we are sacrificing lambs to them every night or whatever every night Uh, (laughs) uh, my backyard
2: is a pile of dead bodies (laughs)
1: it's great uh so thank you so much for that Thank you for being a Patreon or a Dark Council member or a Sopranos member. Um, otherwise, you can follow us on Twitter at Pod. You can follow us individually from there. And until next time, that's, that's movies. movies.